Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Hi, everyone. Um, we, uh, we put the shade cloth up this week to shade me. So um, it, it didn't exactly work the way we planned it, but we will have another one next week that hopefully the majority of you will be in the shade. As Chris said, um, so grateful um, that you guys are here. Moms and dads, particularly grateful because we know that it's, uh, that it's a difficult task. So thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we are in week four of our Portraits of Peace series. Um, we started with... Um, we started with the idea that God is our wonderful counselor, and that was in uh, online. <laughs> Neil did that uh, over the camera, and he took us through wonderful counselor. Then uh, we were going to do Mighty God, or I was going to preach Mighty God, and um, then I got COVID, and so we canceled the gathering, and Sean did Mighty God um, as a devotional. And then last week we met together and I preached on Everlasting Father. So this week we're going to be talking about Prince of Peace. I have three kids and, um, and unfortunately they won't be known as A, B, and C this morning because this has to do with how God told us what to call them. Kiona, my eldest is called Kiona Tori, and that means gift of God and victory. Um, mainly because we were told that we couldn't have kids, so that's what her name means. Fallon's name is Fallon Ain, and Fallon means leader, and Ain means joy. And that was during a time of prayer where Karen and I were, were saying, God, what is it that you want us um, to call her so that every time we call her name, we're reminding her of who she is? And she's a leader, she brings joy. And Erin Talicia is... Uh, called Aaron because Aaron means peace and Talicia is a part of the Greek word kataliseo, which means reconciliation. We were at a prayer meeting one Wednesday and Karen and I were feeling that this is what God was wanting us to call our third child and someone came up to us in the context of the prayer meeting and said, Karen is pregnant and said, I really feel like your child is going to bring peace and reconciliation to, from man to man and man to God. And we were like, great, we'll take that. Well, the problem is most of the time in, uh, in the ages of two to three and maybe four years old, every time we were yelling the name Aaron, it was not in the context of peace. Um, Aaron was a child that ran away often. Um, and I have vivid pictures of Aaron and I mean of Karen in the street, in the middle of our street, yelling out, Aaron, Aaron. In other words, peace, peace without a peaceful attitude. And then we would see Aaron, who was not wearing anything but socks, walking down the, the pavement, the sidewalk, carrying our neighbor's pumpkin. Uh, that was one of the uh, incidents that, that we had with Aaron. And, and one of the questions that we were often asking was like, when will the prophetic purpose of her name come to pass? When will we be able to say Aaron and it will be peaceful? And I remember a friend of ours, mom, was, was sitting with us. They were visiting from a, from a different country, and, and uh, we had had another incident uh, where Erin had hidden, and the whole house was freaking out, and she had hidden under the bed, and, and she thought this was hilarious. Um, and actually what she said was, you know what? Um, if God said to you that she is going to be, bring peace and reconciliation, 
there's a massive difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. Um, and in order to make peace, you need to be strong, and you need to be bold, and you need to be courageous. And we were like, we'll take that. We'll take that because we see that in her. And for many of us, uh, there is a sense in which we are waiting for this understanding of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, as Alex said, uh, the Prince of Peace. And we're waiting in this time where nothing seems to be peaceful. Uh, during this time, the greatest tragedy in has obviously been the loss of life. But the other thing that has happened is that we've lost uh, our sense of who we are. Our anxiety, fear, suspicion, and division has grown. Now, we had that before, uh, but this is like a cancer that's metastasized and grown and become more aggressive. And it's in a time of conflict, and it's in a time of anxiety where people recognize the absence of peace, where they long for it, where people want to sacrifice for it and even fight for peace. And it's within that context, a time of turmoil, that this scripture is written. It's written in the context of future judgment for those that are oppressing the people of God. And so we're going to look at Isaiah 9, but from verse 4, usually we pick up from verse 6. Verse 4 says this, For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burnt as fuel for the fire. It's not the kind of Christmas image we're used to, right? But those are the verses that come right before, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I'm so glad we sang Our Holy Night uh, this morning. It's one of my favorite Christmas hymns. It's kind of been ruined through familiarity and pentatonics. Um, but the, uh, the phrase that I want to look at is such a powerful thing says, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope as a weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees and hear the angel voices. What are the angel voices saying? In Luke 2 verse 14, it's clear because the angel voices are saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And yet we look around and we say, well, where is that? So why don't we have it? The tragedy is peace was present. And, and it's always worse when you have something and you've lost it. And so Adam and Eve experienced a kind of relationship with each other and with God that was in perfect harmony, not only with themselves and with God, but with the created order. There was no pain, there was no sickness, no death, no war, there was no disease, but they gave into a lie that said they know better. And so peace, shalom, relationship was terminated. Brokenness in ourselves, in our relationship with each other, in our relationship with God's created order, and most importantly, suspicion of God entered in that moment. And selfishness and fear and violence and pain and disease and lack all entered. 
And this destruction is what causes us to yearn for the return of the perfect shalom of God. And what we celebrate during this time of Advent is we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ, the incarnate God who um, inaugurated a kingdom, who started this kingdom and basically said, I'm here to break the power of death, of the demonic and of disease. But there will be a time where I will return again and perfect shalom and peace will come. Advent is both the celebrating of the first coming of the incarnational God and longing for the second one. As Paul tells us, all creation groans as a woman in childbirth for the wholeness of shalom to be restored to us. So let's talk about what peace is not. Peace is not ceasefire or a truce, an armistice, a cessation of hostilities. Um, those of you that are old enough to understand what has happened between Israel and Palestine, that has gone on for many, many years. There has been many ceasefires. There have been many truces, even peace accords. But what has not happened is the reality is that nothing is resolved. No one is happy. And we are not working together for the act of good of everyone else. Uh, there's a deep sense of suspicion. And even though no one is actively fighting, we know that no one is in a place of absolute wholeness. And the challenge in our personal relationships is that some of our marriages are at a place of ceasefire. There isn't necessarily wholeness or harmony, but there is a sense in which no one is actively fighting. This is not what peace is. I think the other thing we need to understand is that in the context of our peace with God, neutrality is not an option. We can't get to be Switzerland. We were enemies of God, Scripture tells us. And what God did through Jesus Christ has made us sons and daughters, co-workers, co-heirs with Jesus. We are kingdom bringers. And the, the coolest thing about this is we bring nothing to the party. Usually there's an exchange in the context even of a ceasefire. There's a sense of, okay, I won't do this if you won't do that. I won't throw rockets over if you won't send your army in. Okay, we, do we agree? Yes. But in this context, we brought nothing to the party. Usually there's an exchange, but we have nothing. God proposed the peace and God paid for the peace with the death and resurrection of his son. Shalom or the peace of God has a, a large sense of restitution. In, in the Old Testament, to achieve peace or shalom, it was like if you dug a hole and, um, and, and your neighbor's animal fell into it, you would have to pay for that animal. That, there was restitution. These days, if, if, if um, children, child A hits another car um, and you have to pay for the restitution of that car in order to bring the shalom of God, That's, let's look at it that way. You know, peace doesn't come without a sense of, of restitution. And the, the, the shalom, the entire peace of God comes not only when two rivals stop animosity, but when they start working together for each other's benefit. It is not just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of wholeness and flourishing and cooperation. And the, the thing that we need to understand as we spoke about this last week of being dearly loved sons and daughters of the everlasting father is this. God is not tolerating you because he has to abide by some peace accord. God has sent his son in order to gather us, his sons and daughters, to himself so that he can be with us. There is no sense of God tolerating us or cease firing with us. There's a sense of him completely sacrificing so that he can be with us. To bring shalom means to complete and restore. The second thing about the peace of God is that it is not simplistic. 
Now, the peace of God is, I've said shalom, is when everything is as it's supposed to be. The, the Greek word for peace is irini, which is where Aaron comes from. And there's a sense in which there's this flow of blessings, both to humanity and to the land. That's what that all means. It's whole. It's not simple. It's complex. It's intricate with many aspects and, and moving parts. But basically, the idea of peace is when something that is intricately designed is working the way that it should be working. I'm sure many of your many parents and even um, in, in terms of your different friends, maybe you've bought a Christmas present and you know that uh, when they open it on that day, there is no sense of peace or shalom because you haven't put it together yet. And there's a sense in which you've got to put this intricate gift together when it's all together then you can have a sense of peace. Now also, uh, those of you that don't have children, please do not buy your friends who do have children something with a noise that continues on and on and on because that will not bring a sense of peace or shalom to the house. Anyway, that was a departure. So if peace is something that is not simple, but complex, intricate, and has many moving parts, then this is what we say. Life is complex with lots of moving parts. So this is what we're going to do in order to maintain or get peace. We're going to simplify it. So we're going to take away all the complex moving parts. We're going to opt out of the rat race. We're going to say, okay, if, if something is is difficult, and if something has lots of moving parts, then it's more likely that something will be broken, or something will be missing, or something will be out of alignment. So let's simplify. Uh, let's move somewhere uh, out of the rat race, and, and let's take ourselves out of this difficult, complex situation. Well, living simply is not the solution, because biblical shalom is found at a much deeper level. There's an Australian rock band that's old, I know. It's called Crowded House. And one of their songs has this line, everywhere you go, you always take the weather with you. It doesn't matter where you go, whether you change your job or whether you change your location, because peace is a much, much deeper thing. And wherever you go, there you are. And so if you haven't decided to aim for a deeper level of peace, then you're going to take that with you. If life... Uh, if a simple life with very few requirements would be what brought peace, then the COVID lockdown time should have brought us all an extravagant amount of peace. Well, that's not what happened, is it? Now, I want to say this. Simplicity and slowness does not guarantee peace any more than complexity and activity is synonymous with chaos. Let me say that again. Simplicity and slowness does not guarantee peace any more that complexity and activity is synonymous with chaos. Now, peace and order are connected, and administration lays the platform of peace, but it doesn't guarantee it. I want to say this, you cannot have peace without order, but you can have order without peace. Now, there's a lot of different things that we can do in our lives to make sure that things aren't out of control, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee peace. Because it's not what you're doing, and it's not necessarily where you're doing it, it's who you're doing it with, Jesus and his called out body, and why you're doing it for his kingdom and for his glory that brings peace. Now, thirdly, peace is not perfection. If everything looks right, if everything is working right, and if everything feels right, then I have what I need, and peace will be the natural outcome of this. 
The challenge is we, we still live in a broken world. And there's still a level of brokenness that we have to endure until he returns. So Nick, does that mean that this is just some kind of wild goose chase? Uh, are we here just longing for the second return of Jesus and this, this peace is like chasing smoke? We're never going to achieve it? No. One of the, one of the pictures I wanted to show, and, and it's, in your, it's in your packet or on your phone, is, is a picture of a mosaic. Now, those of you that are familiar with art will know there's a difference between a painting and a mosaic. And our lives are a mosaic, not a paint by numbers. That's what we, we tend to think. We tend to think our lives are, are like this perfect paint by numbers. One is black and two is red and three is green. And we, we just color that in and it'll be the picture for it. Now, our lives are like a mosaic and the broken pieces of our lives fit together to form order and beauty. It doesn't mean there aren't any broken pieces. It just means that if we bring those broken pieces to God, that he can create something that brings him glory, that he can create a, a picture that is so unique that would never be captured by the perfection of a paintbrush. Uh, the challenge is we try and hide all these broken things. We say, I mean, who's going to deal with my brokenness relationally? And who's going to deal with my brokenness sexually? And who's going to deal with what has happened to me? And we bring those things to God. And God takes the broken pieces of our lives. And he makes this beautiful picture that shows people that perfection is not necessary in order for us to have peace. We will have perfection when we see him face to face. But now in the inaugurated kingdom, until Jesus comes to consummate that kingdom, we will live in a brokenness, but a brokenness that shows the glory and beauty of our Savior. So if peace is not a ceasefire, and if peace is not simplistic, and it's not perfection, then what is it? Well, simply put, peace is a person. C.S. Lewis says this, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself, because it is not there. There is no such thing. Ephesians 2 verse 14 says this, For he himself, Paul is talking about Jesus Christ, he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commands expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two so making peace. What Paul is talking about is the division between Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. And what, what Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus is there is no such thing anymore. There is no such thing as a Jewish Christian or a Gentile Christian anymore. You are one. Jesus has broken down that, that wall of hostility. You are one. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace. So Jesus is our peace, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off, and peace to those who were near. So there's a sense in which Paul is reminding us that Jesus himself is the one that is our peace. It was his death and resurrection that brought two competing uh, uh, tribes, if you will, together, and actually as one man said, we are reconciled, and we have reconciliation with God. Now I want to say this, it is, as I've been praying, there's a sense in which peace with one another looks way further than peace with God does. And, and over this time, this is something that we have warred over as a leadership team. God, we want to see your peace and we want to see your unity. And we know that you are the one that broke down the wall of hostility. You are the one that reconciled us to each other. We want to be able to keep that peace. 
Jesus, the most complete human being, which is what we are celebrating, the incarnation of the God-man, Jesus Christ, was willing to be broken for our wholeness. His broken body is what made us whole. His resurrected, complete body is what gives us ultimate peace. And as I said last week, this is not an alignment with a theological principle or an academic idea. This is a deep sense of relationship with the Prince of Peace. Peace of God is not about God necessarily calming a storm, but the peace of God is knowing where Jesus is in the midst of the storm. Michael Gorman says that Jesus is both the source and the shape of God's shalom. And I would submit that in the context of the scripture that we're looking at, that Prince of Peace is more an amalgamation of the previous three things. There's a sense in which in order to be the Prince of Peace, you need to be able to be the wonderful counselor that leads us in the righteous way. You need to be a mighty God that is powerful and sovereign and strong. And you need to be an everlasting father that is kind and loving and inviting in order to bring those that are under your rule a sense of deep peace. Romans 5 verses 1 to 2 saying that Jesus made peace. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, Jesus Christ has brought us peace through connection, and he did that because he identified with us he was in a human body connected with our emotions and our difficulties. Physically, he sweated. He was hungry. He was tired. He also understood what betrayal was like. He also understood what loneliness was like. He connected with us. He restored us. He made something beautiful out of that which is fractured and incomplete because of sin. He made restitution both for the damage done to us through sin and the damage we did through others and paid the price that was necessary to set up relationship with God. This is not a human solution. If you say to someone, I'm going to bring peace by pain, separation, betrayal, and death, people look at you sideways. But that's exactly what Jesus did, ultimately to be the king and ultimately to overcome pain, separation, death, and betrayal. Peace is powerful. When we think of peace, uh, as I said right at the beginning, we, we tend to think of something that is cute or small or kind. And actually, peace is powerful. One of my favorite verses, when we see the offensive power of peace, is in Romans 16, verse 20. And here, Paul is saying to the Roman church in a, in a goodbye, he says, May the God of peace, or the God of peace, will just kindly, gently stroke you. No. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And then he continues, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now that shouldn't sound jarring to us. Sometimes there is a sense in which we're jarred by that. Hang on a second, you're saying, you're saying the God of peace will crush Satan under our feet. Now may the grace of God be with you. No, it's the same thing. The grace of God and the peace of God are potent powerful weapons. They're not just defensive weapons. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus told us the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We can pray for sick people to be healed and they've been healed. We've prayed for sick people and they haven't been healed, but we won't stop praying because we see some people that are healed through prayer. 
We pray for our needs. Um, a couple months ago, we, we, we talked about the idea of what does it look like for us to pray individually and as a community. And for some of us with unanswered prayers, we've maybe stopped. And actually, no, we don't. We say, God, in this area of my life, I need the Prince of Peace to crush Satan. Not under his feet. What does he say? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You will give me the power to stand up to that which I don't think I can stand up to because of the peace of God and the grace of God that rests in my life. It is active. It is intentional. It is powerful. It is strong. The peace of God is something we did not deserve. It's something that we, we, we don't help build, but it is something that God um, invites us to guard. In Ephesians, Paul tells the, the church in Ephesus, with all humility and gentleness, which is what we need so much more of these days, with patience, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This is a peace that we have received that we didn't deserve. This is a peace that we didn't have in any active work in building. But this is the great invitation of our Savior Jesus that says, won't you join me to guard this peace? Won't you join me as a people that have been filled with the Spirit of God, that same Spirit that cries out, Abba, Father, that we spoke of last week. Won't you fill me as an example to this world that we are able to be humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Knowing that the Holy Spirit dwells inside me and inside you, knowing that the community of believers surrounds me, and knowing that nothing will ultimately frustrate a sovereign God as we hurtle towards His ultimate revealing, that gives me peace. Peace, finally, is also defensive. Philippians 4 verse 7, and we've preached much on this. Philippians 4 verse 7 says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard or garrison or protect against a siege your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Just listen to that again. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your mind and heart in Christ Jesus. This is the idea of, of grabbing a child that is, that is just out of control and holding them and just saying, shh. This is the idea of God garrisoning himself, having this protective line of soldiers around your heart and your mind. God, these are the things that I'm feeling. I'm so anxious. I'm, I'm, I'm depressed. These are the things that I'm thinking. The peace of God will guard your heart and mind. In Christ Jesus. Because it's not some flaky, flowery thing. It is a powerful. He's called the Prince of Peace. An uncertain future. An uncertain present. Peace is guarding you. Why can we say that? Because Jesus is guarding you. Because he is the Prince of Peace. Lisa, won't you come up here? These last couple months have not been peaceful for me. They have been exposing. They have been difficult. Um, been dealing with this low-grade anger that busts out into volcanic eruptions. 
Um, and I've recognized something in, in my journal this week. I, I said to God, it's not so much that I feel like my soul is wounded. It's not so much that I feel that there's this sense of bruising in my soul. Like I can't identify any, anything like that. But, but I said to him, I have this sense of unpeacefulness. I don't know that's not a word. And, and the word that kind of was revealed to me during that time as I spent time in, in the back is like, I have an itchy soul. It's not necessarily sore or bruised or damaged. It's, it's itchy. And I can, I can try and ignore it. Like those of you that, that feel itchy, like it's all in my mind. I'm just going to ignore it. Or I can try and itch it by pursuing vain pursuits. And just in that moment, God said to me, Nick, you, you can't ignore it and you can't itch it. You have to come to me, the Prince of Peace. Let me crush the lies of the enemy as he speaks to you during this time. Let me help you to be reasonable. Let me help you to be humble. Let me help you to bear with one another. Let me help you to forgive. Let me help you to do those things that you are trying to do in your own strength and realize you're failing miserably. Let me help you do those things. I want us to take some time during this, these next kind of five minutes. It's funny that Advent is meant to be a time of longing and waiting. And it seems that Advent is a time of just such frenetic activity for most of us. I want us to take some time and you, you can close your eyes. You can just, just stare ahead. But I want us to intentionally stop and ask three questions. I want us to bring these broken pieces of our lives to God. What is broken? What is broken in my relationship with God? What is broken in my relationship with others? What is broken in this world? Okay, that's an easy one. But just spend some time. What is broken? What is missing? What is something that was there that's not there anymore? What is something that was never there in terms of my relationship with God? What is missing in terms of my relationship with others? What is missing in this world? What is out of place in terms of my desires? What is out of place in terms of my fears? What is out of place in terms of my ambitions? 
what is out of place in this world. taken time to ask what is broken, missing, and out of place. We bring these broken pieces to you. We know we are missing things. We know there are things that we've put in place that need to be moved. And we say, Spirit of God, we want to submit to you, the Prince of Peace. We want the Prince of Peace to crush Satan under our feet. We want the peace of God to garrison our hearts and minds. And we thank you that you have the power to do that. We say this morning, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Life and light to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lay his glory by, born that men no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Let's worship our King. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.